0: Hello patrons. It's me, Rose, as always. Um, This is the bonus podcast for the most recent episode about nuclear fusion, which came out yesterday, if you are listening to this on Wednesday, which is when I'm recording it. It is a holiday week-ish here in the United States where I live, so if you are celebrating a certain holiday this week, um, I hope that you enjoy it. Um, If holidays are hard for you, I hope that it goes as well as possible, sort of whatever that looks like for you. And either way, uh, if you are not a person who has a connection already to the indigenous folks um, in your region or wherever you're going, please do consider finding out whose land you are on in North America or in Australia as well. It's a big conversation there too. Um, but particularly around this particular holiday of Thanksgiving in the US, um, you can look up which tribes live on the land that you are on by going to native-land.ca. That's the website that I usually use. There are other resources as well. Um, and. I just recommend looking it up and maybe you can do like a little land recognition at your Thanksgiving dinner. Um, you could be that cool person who knows this important history and sort of recognizes it. Um. Okay, let's talk about fusion. Um, I got a couple of things from this episode, and the big one really is the story of cold fusion. So you might have heard of cold fusion before, maybe as a punchline of like a technology that doesn't work, um, or maybe you don't know the difference between cold fusion and regular fusion. A couple of people, like friends of mine, that I talked to about this episode before it came up, when I was like, oh, I'm doing an episode about fusion, they were like, oh, like cold fusion? And I had to be like, no, that's not a thing. Um, so the cold Cold in cold fusion refers to the fact that, um really, no matter how you do fusion, you kind of have to get the hydrogen isotopes really, 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 really hot to get them to collide. Um, Basically, you know, you may have learned this in physics um, in college or high school, the hotter something is, the faster the molecules in it are moving. And the idea is that the faster you can get them moving, the more likely they are to hit each other in the way that you need for fusion. Um, And getting things super, super hot is actually one of the big challenges of fusion, right? Because you have to spend a lot of energy getting this plasma material really, really, really hot. Um, So if you could do fusion cold without having to put that heat in, it would be really amazing and it would actually make fusion so much easier and more accessible. And in the 1980s, two guys thought that they had that figured out. So I'm going to have Charles just tell you what happened. Cold
1: fusion uh, is actually is a actually rather sad story because you had very good scientists totally destroy their reputations chasing after this dream. So the idea was palladium is a kind of a weirdo metal um, that can suck up a lot of hydrogen and confine hydrogen inside the molecular cage of the palladium crystal. And two electrochemists, Pons and Fleischman, in the late 1980s, thought that once they loaded up a hunk of palladium with heavy hydrogen, they thought they saw excess energy. They thought they saw energy coming out of fusion. And in theory, one can imagine if, if these atoms are really well confined in this lattice of palladium, maybe because of that cage, they're forced into proximity and they might fuse. That was what they thought was happening. Turned out not to be the case. That for various reasons, they rushed to a press conference to announce their findings. There was actually a Rival uh, scientist who was sniffing along the same lines, and so they felt they had to rush. And they announced they had solved the world's energy problems with this little hunk of palladium in a beaker. There was a lot of celebration that chemists, especially around the world, thought that this was just hunky-dory. This was great. Physicists around the world said, no, this is not happening. The people who are experts at nuclear bombs realized that if they had created the amount of energy that they were claiming to have seen, everyone in the laboratory would have been dead uh, because the neutron production would have irradiated everybody. You should be able to detect that. And so they immediately came to this skeptical. And for a short time, there was this kind of this chemists versus physicists war, the chemists were backing Pons and Fleischmann, saying, yeah, electrochemists can solve the world's energy crisis. And the physicists saying, no, no, you chemists don't know what you're talking about. Pons and Fleischmann got in deeper and deeper after they got cagey about their experiments. And there were kind of graphs which were shifting around indicating possible fraud. And eventually it kind of turned out with people trying to replicate this thing that really it was not happening. There were a few groups out there who actually claimed to replicate uh, Pons and Fleischmann, but it's pretty clear that the original experiment was, was just nonsense, that they were deceiving themselves.
0: Now, my understanding is that fusion at lower temperatures is not theoretically impossible. So the version that Pons and Fleischmann observed was just wrong. But if you throw something called muons into the mix, things can actually get interesting. So if you replace the electrons in a hydrogen atom with these weird little things called muons, you can actually get fusion at lower temperatures, even at like room temperature. Uh, the problem <laughs> is that muons are not just like laying around for us to use. You have to use a particle accelerator to make them. And particle accelerators themselves take a ton of energy to operate. Um, there's a Minute Physics video all about this, and I will link to it in the show notes if you want to sort of learn more about how it works. But the basic gist is that it takes more energy to make the muons than you get from muon-aged fusion. And this is like kind of a common theme in fusion research and in talking about fusion, like it's, it's going to be hard no matter what. There's no easy answer to this question. Um, we are probably never going to find the one quick easy trick that nobody wants you to know about to power the whole world. Um, so anything that seems too easy probably does have a catch. Um, and that is kind of the lesson of cold fusion. So that is that. Um, the other thing that I cut um, from this episode is just a little bit of background about the Center for the Study of Existential Risk. It's a great name, first of all, for anything, the Center for the Study of Existential Risk. And when you go to the website for this Center for the Study of Existential Risk, you are met with this big blue page. And in the middle, it says, quote, we are dedicated to the study and mitigation of risks that could lead to human extinction or civilizational collapse. So very cheery stuff. The site list's four main research areas. Um, They are managing extreme technological risks, global catastrophic biological risks. So that's stuff like a global pandemic, like we talked about on the episode, The Very Big Sick. Extreme risks and the global environment, basically climate change, and risks from artificial intelligence. So I, this website is very fun to look at in part because there are just some like really incredible sentences in this work, in the website. So here's just one amazing sentence that I found on the website for the center. Quote, there seems to be a small but real possibility that civilization ends in the next century. This would not only be terrible for the present generation, it would permanently remove the possibility of a good future. Anyway, I'm sort of joking around about this, but they this place really does do cool and interesting research, um, even if it is a little bit terrifying. So one recent paper tried to estimate an upper bound for the background rate of human extinction, and it found that an annual probability of natural extinction is likely below one in 870,000. Honestly, like, I don't actually know if that is good odds or bad odds for human extinction, but now we sort of have an estimate for it another recent paper will be interesting to those who liked the geoengineering episode. It's called The Entwined Cold War Roots of Missile Defense and Climate Geoengineering. I found that one super interesting. I will link to all of these papers in the notes for this bonus episode, by the way, if you want them. Um, There's another paper that the center recently published about whether or not we should genetically engineer people who go into space so that they're better suited for space travel, which is super interesting and possibly might show up in a future episode of this show. And perhaps my favorite paper from their recent publication, List is this one. It is called The End Science, Conservation, and Social Justice as Necessary Tools for Preventing the Otherwise Inevitable Human Extinction. Note that there are like two question marks in the title of this paper, um, but it is actually a really interesting paper, and I recommend reading it if you're interested in any of those things. Um, anyway, I bet that the Center for the Study of Existential Risk has amazing parties, and I hope that one day I get to go to one. Okay, what else? Um, we have two episodes left for this year. Um, and they're both weird in different ways. So next week's episode is one that I'm actually kind of nervous about in part because it is a topic that is huge and also sort of outside the normal stuff that Flash Forward covers. Um, it's a, it's a political topic and it's a political topic about something that is like kind of a hot button issue and also something that I don't actually know that much about and I don't have any real background on. So I've been reading a lot of books and trying to get as sort of... Much information as I can. And also I've been writing sort of a lot of caveats into the script for the episode to kind of like make it clear that this is just a primer and this is just a little bit of information about it. So I'm a little nervous about that. And then the last one is sort of a wild card episode where I am going to force you to kind of go down this thought experiment that I have been thinking about for the last like two years. um, And have kind of convinced myself is a possibility, even though it sounds completely like off the rails um, when you first hear it. So they're two kind of very different and interesting episodes that I hope you like. Um, yeah. And then after that, there's a break. Um, and I'm thinking a lot about what next year is going to look like for Flash Forward. Um, I know, you know, those of you who listen to this bonus podcast know that um, this new, this format this year of these little mini seasons was an experiment. And it was an experiment that didn't quite work the way that I had hoped it was going to. I think it was really interesting and I learned a lot. And I think some people really liked it and some people didn't. And so, which is always going to be the case, right? Like there's always going to be people who don't like something or do like something. So who knows? Um, And, you know, obviously like feedback from listeners via either Patreon or email or Twitter, like it's not a good sample size. You know, you don't know really if like you're just hearing the loudest people and the loudest people tend to be the ones that don't like something. Anyway, I've been thinking a lot about next year and what the format of the show is going to be next year and what I would change and what I would keep the same from this year. Um, So more on that in future bonus episodes, probably later um, in the year, I'm going to do one at the end of the season. Um, The last bonus episode of the year will probably be a lot more about what I'm thinking about for next year, but I think I do know that next year I'll go back to kind of every other week as the schedule um, and then maybe throw in like one or two mini seasons in there when it makes sense if there's a topic that I really want to go deep on and explore. Um, so that's kind of the idea there. I have a couple, I already know a couple of episodes I want to do next year. Um, I'm really excited about them. So, so yeah, um, the show will be, will be, we'll keep on chugging on, um, and, and we'll keep on chugging on in part because you all fund it, which I, again, like it's, this show doesn't exist without patrons. So I'm so thankful for you. Um, so yeah, that's kind of some of the stuff I'm thinking about. I also have some like interesting, weird flash forward related side projects that I'm excited to work on. Um, after the last episode of the season, when I am like in production for a flash forward, um, like for actual episodes, it's hard to do anything else because they are obviously really time consuming to get together. Um, but, um, but I'm excited for there's a couple little projects that I want to work on that I'm hoping people will like, and that will kind of come out in the flash forward feed at some point. Um, okay, um, at the end of every season, I do a big debrief about like how many sources and the the demographic breakdown of those sources and sort of like things I think worked really well this year and things I didn't. So I won't get into that. That'll happen. For the last bonus podcast of the year, um, I might even actually do it as its own bonus podcast app instead of connected to the one, um, for the last little episode. Um, but yes, I'm thinking a lot about what to happen next year. And one of the things that I'm thinking about for next year, I should say is like, if there are any changes I should make to the Patreon situation, um, like the rewards and the tiers and stuff like that. I talked to somebody from Patreon on the phone the other day and they had some advice, um, about a bunch of things. And so I'm trying to kind of re like, think about what changes might need to be be made for next year for patreon so now is a great time if you have thoughts about how this patreon is or is not working for you or anything you'd like to see um, things that you would wish were different if you wish that this podcast was easier to listen to or something like that there's a couple of things i'm thinking about on that front um, rewards you might like to see stuff like that Now is a great time for you to kind of tell me what you are interested in doing and what you're interested in seeing on patreon speaking of patreon Um, we are currently voting on the book choice for the Flash Forward Book Club, um, for December. This month, we read The Future of Another Timeline by Annalie Newitz, which you heard about in the first episode of this, uh, little mini-season. It's all about time travel. It's so good and so interesting, and it's been fun to talk to people about it in the book club, um... If you are, by the way, not in the book club Slack, but you are a $7 and up patron and you want to be in the book club Slack, you should have gotten an invite when you signed up as a patron, but if you didn't for some reason or you can't find it or whatever it is and you want access to the Slack, just send me a note and I will give you a, get you a link to that. So that's where people are talking about it. And so we are voting on the book club book for December Um, and we have five amazing choices. I'm just going to tell you what they are. Um, and right now we're in voting, so we have not decided yet. Um, okay. So one of them is super pumped, the battle for Uber by Mike Isaac, which is a book all about Uber. Um, the second one is called ghost work, how to stop Silicon Valley from building a new global underclass, which is sounds super interesting. And I'm really, I'm probably going to read no matter what and also very much relates to the season of power. Um, The third book is You Look Like a Thing and I Love You by Janelle Shane, who has been on the show before. And I admit that I've read this book and it is super funny. Um, The fourth option is Republic of Lies by Anna Merlin, which is basically a tour of conspiracy theories currently, um, everything from, like, birthers to Pizzagate and all that. And the fifth book is called As We Have Always Done, Indigenous Freedom Through Radical Resistance. Um, And this is a book that was recommended to me recently that sounds really interesting, um, and it's sort of all about um, indigenous theory and political resurgence and sort of, like, practices um, rooted in indigenous cultures and histories, which I think are super interesting. So, um, I, those are the five that we're voting on. So if you, if any of that sounds cool and interesting and you want to cast your vote and join the book club, um, you can do that. If you're already a $7 patron and you don't have the link again, send me a note. If you are a $5 patron and you're like, dang, that sounds good enough to up to $7 an episode, (laughs) extra two bucks, um, you can join. And, um, it's fun and exciting. And I'm very thankful for the folks who sort of talk and, and discuss the books in the Slack. Okay. What else to say? that's pretty much it for this episode. Um, okay. Last thing is a secret. Um, I always struggle with how, I don't know how people come up with these so easily. How does Allie do this? Anyway. Um, I have recently bought some new plants for my office and I got an app called Planta, which I am not being paid to promote, but it helps you remember when to water your plants. Cause I love the idea of having plants around. It's great to have like greenery and stuff, but I'm not always the best at remembering to water them. <laughs> um, in fact, this. Uh, A couple of years ago, um, and this is really the secret, I I bought a plant for my office that at the time I was living in a house, like an apartment that had a really, was like kind of underground. And so the office had like not very good light. And so I bought this plant and I bought a fake plant because I was like, I don't have enough light for this, like for a real plant. So I had this fake plant on my desk for two years and then one day a leaf fell off the fake plant. And I learned that it was, in fact, not a fake plant, but a real plant that had survived two years without me doing anything to it. No water, no real light. Um... And it was the best plant ever. And it was a ZZ plant, which is one of the ones that everyone says to get when you're a person like me who can't remember to water your plants. Um, And so, yeah, so I had this, what I thought was a fake plant for two years and then it wasn't, it was real. Um, The kicker to the story is that I, when I moved away from New York, I gave that plant to a friend of mine who's like got a green thumb and is so good at plants. And I was like, great. And she texted me and she was like. I killed your plant. And I was like, how is that possible? The plant is invincible. Apparently she over, she gave it too much attention. It just needed to be left alone. It needed to pretend it was fake for years on end to survive. (laughs) So RIP that plant. Sorry about that plant. Uh, If Planto wants to sponsor, flash forward, please get in touch because I do actually like this app. It's great. Yeah, I need to water three of my plants today. Anyway, um, that's it. Uh, I hope you're having a great week and um, I will talk to you next week. Bye.